So as I uh, mentioned yesterday, uh, so yesterday I said I would talk more about grasping and creative engagement today. And also what I like to do today is uh, bring this uh, other technique of meditation, which I feel is very connected to that question. And also to the questioning, the inquiring, the Vipassana aspect of the meditation we've been talking about. So in a way, yesterday, uh, we were talking, I was talking about the fact that in our experience, so really that's what secular Dharma is about, secular, this time, this experience. What's going on in our experience? So in our experience, we generally, we are in contact through the six senses. And so in terms of Buddhism, the sixth sense is the mind, the thought. I'm aware there are many other senses if we look at it scientifically, but let's just keep to the sixth uh, for this morning, which is a, a little easier. So contact. You hear a sound, you experience a sensation in the body, you smell something, you see something, you taste something, and you have a thought. And so, you see, what is interesting in terms of contact, mindfulness of contact, is that one moment you don't see or hear or feel or have the thought, and up, it happens. So something emerged, something we come in contact with something. And so in a way, at that point, there is in a way what meditation is about giving us more choice to possibly move from often our automatic reaction, which is more to grasp, and then over time, more naturally move to creative engagement. And so you have the contact, what we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we think, what we experience in the body, etc. And exactly at the same time, that contact make us experience a feeling tone. Of course, on that range from agony to ecstasy and all in between, pleasant, unpleasant, neither. And again, do we grasp at the tonality or do we creatively engage with the tonality? And the same, at the same time, we perceive it makes sense to us. And what do we do with that perception? So in a way you could say, is a perception a wise perception, a clear perception? Again, is a perception grasping? Or is a perception imbued with creative engagement? So in a way, at any moment of experience, this is kind of just, that's why it's called omnipresent factor. The fact that we are in contact, tonality, perception, intention, and attention. So all these operate together. And with this operation, then in a way, do we grasp, generally meaning go on automatic, or do we creatively engage? And so in a way, first, I like to look a little bit That in with the practice is not like 
eradication of grasping. Like we're going to practice and there will be no grasping whatsoever. So that's a no grasping whatsoever in any circumstances. That's not the idea. But the idea of the practice is actually to diminish the amount of grasping. Personally, I think as a human being, we cannot stop grasping. Because I think grasping, again, is just a function of taking care of this organism. This organism has to live, has to survive. And in order to survive, this organism has to grasp to some degree. But the question is, does it have to grasp 95% or 150% sometimes? Or can we diminish the percentage to 50%? So in a way, grasping here means caring for ourselves, but also as much caring for others. Because in a way, what we have to see, one of the problematics of uh, grasping is that actually grasping is very connected to self-centeredness. So in a, way, kind of, in a way, it's kind of like when we grasp, we are the center of the universe. So we think everything relates to me. When possibly I am the center of my tiny universe, and you are the center of your universe, but we, I'm not the center of the whole universe. Not everything revolves around me positively or negatively. So in a way, it's kind of moving a little. That yes, I exist and I have to take care of myself, but can I take care of myself as much I take care of others and in a creative way and not in a kind of a sticky way, one could say. For me, grasping is not so much that we constantly like this. It's more like, like we stick. We have a, it's a bit like Velcro. You know, Velcro, it's kind of... So it's kind of like, are we like Velcro? Really, ooh, it's sticking. Are we little like a butterfly? Kind of going on to uh, the nectar of a flower. Kind of passing by. And so in a way, it's kind of how are we in life? Are we kind of light? Or are we a little sticky? Or are we a little too sticky? But in a way, so it's not grasping itself, I would say, that is necessarily the problem because I think this is just being human. But it's more how much we do it. And in the doing of it, what does it, what's the obstacle that it creates? To me, that's what is interesting. imitation does it put us on or what are the difficulty it brings in it so it's kind of like looking at the process of grasping let's just give you an image i mean some of you have seen me do that but not everybody here so in a way a process of grasping this is pressure gold or diamonds or it's the greatest truth in the universe but what is special about it is that it's mine. Oh, I want it for myself. But let's say it's mine. It's mine. And because it's mine, oh, I want to grasp that thing. I want to hold on to it. I want to have it close to me. I don't want to lose it. I don't want anybody else to take it from me. 
So then I do this. I hold on to it tightly. I grasp at it. And then by grasping at it, two things happen. The first thing is that I'm going to get a cramp in the arm. And this is a little a signal of grasping is tension. When we grasp, generally there is tension. But the other thing that happens, which is much worse, is that when I grasp at this, I cannot use my hand for anything else. So I'm stuck to what I'm grasping at. So then you could say, what is the solution? And I would say, I mean, one solution, of course, is to cut the hand, but that's a little drastic. And I would say not very helpful. The other solution is to get rid of the object. But the object is not saying, come, come, come. You really want me. You know, sometimes you're in front of a kind of a, I don't know, a computer shop and you think, mm, iPhone 25. Mm, it's like it's calling out to you. Not me, it's him calling out to me. Not at all. The object doesn't do anything. We are the one grasping at the object. And I would say what meditation does is help us to open our hands. So yeah, we can use object, cherish the object, but we don't grasp at it. So that it does not limit us. Because you see, I think what is difficult with the process of grasping is that immediately you have selfie. I, me, mine then you limit yourself around what you grasp at, and then, this is what is very problematic, you amplify. So in a way, you have two sidelines, I would say, to grasping is exaggeration. When we grasp, we so quickly go into generalization. It's always like this. You are always like that. It will never change. So in a way, kind of being careful with that. Grasping generally leads to exaggeration. And exaggeration can be a little signal. Is this true? Is this true all the time? When you make a mistake, sometimes, I remember recently I was remembering something I did. You know, people had invited me for a special thing. And culturally, I made a mistake. Something I should have known, I knew. And because I get a little funny sometimes, I forgot. And afterward, I was pointed out culturally it was inappropriate. And I felt really bad. And then time to time, I remember, ooh, you missed it there. And, but I don't think I am always like this. I always make mistakes. But what I learned is that in certain circumstances, I lose direction. If you have, there is several things happening at once and I focus on the wrong one, one could say, then I forgot the other one. And then I forgot that you should wait for everybody before you started to eat a special meal. And I totally forgot that because of other things. So it was kind of like, oh, I mean, time to time I notice that that if I focus on one thing and not the rest, then I kind of lose the plot sometimes. It doesn't mean I always lose the plot. So in a way, kind of being careful, saying, you know, I'm always stupid, I always make mistakes, I can never do this. What are the conditions in which this happens? 
the other thing which happened with um, grasping is proliferation. And so there you have a lot of association, generally association with the past or association with the future. And then we kind of proliferate means we kind of again amplify around it. And so that kind of from a small thing, you suddenly, I mean, a good example is like, you know, you're waiting for somebody. Okay, they're not there. Nine o'clock, they're not there. 10 past nine, what's going on? 9.20, they don't love me. 9.30, nobody loves me. 9.40, I hate the world. I mean, nowadays it's good. You can phone them and they can tell you I'm late or whatever. But this is interesting how somebody being late and you can go into whew, a really dark place, actually. So you know, we can have your grasp and then we can proliferate. And so in a way, what the meditation is trying to help us to do is to creatively engage. So that in a way, the meditation helps us to bring more groundedness, more calmness, more clarity, so that then it's not like we kind of caught, because I think grasping is kind of like we caught. It goes faster than we can access it often. And so in a way, with the meditation, it's not means that we're going to go very slow, but that we're going to have possibly a little more intuition, or we have a little more calm, or we have a little more clarity, so that we're not so quickly overwhelmed, so quickly amplifying, so quickly exaggerating. So in a way, the difference between grasping, being taken over, so to speak, is creatively engaging. What are the conditions? How can I be with this? What is it I need to accept? What is it I can transform? And in terms of listening, the meditation we did yesterday, to me, this is something interesting in terms of grasping and the contact, tonality, and perception. Is listening, part of listening, is you hear a word. So somebody says something to you. And what do you do with that? And what is a word? I mean, if I look at you, everybody, and I say, wow, you are all awakened. You are all Buddhas. Mm. Martin said, I am awakened. Martin said, I am a Buddha. This is great. But what if I look at you and I think, mm, you are all stupid. <gasps> Martin said, I'm stupid. She's stupid to say I'm stupid. And off we go. But what are these words? Awakened. Stupid. I mean, truly, Stephen was talking about not self yesterday, and he might talk about emptiness today, but for me, words are empty. I mean, they arise, and they're gone. So in a way, they're not kind of, you know, all floating about. As soon as they're uttered, generally, they're gone. But for us, not. You hear a word and it's like, ah! 
And we keep it, but where do we keep it? This is in a way, this not self. The word is not me. The word doesn't define me. But you sit in meditation and you think, hmm, that person said that two years ago or 10 years ago. So I'm not saying you must ignore it, not at all. But what I'm talking about, how can I creatively engage with words? So if somebody said something to me, creative engagement is kind of asking, is this about me or is this about them? Often I feel like kind of when somebody says something to you, it's about, do I buy it or not? Like if I go to the market, I went to the market yesterday, and I hope because of the corona, you cannot choose. But when we were able to choose, then generally I did not go for the kind of the orange who looked not really good. I generally went for the good orange. So I choose or orange I was going to eat. And so in a way, it's the same. You, you're given a word. I mean, if it's a bad orange type of word, do I need to buy it? Is it about me? Is it about them? So in a way, not grasping doesn't mean I don't do anything. On the contrary, not grasping removes the obstacle to our creative potential to creatively engage. This word, does it say something about me? Then if so, what can I do about it? If it doesn't say anything about me, I don't have to take it on. But possibly I could check the situation with this person who is saying that. Can I do something about it or not? So in a way, it's kind of like creative engagement is what can I do within this situation? Do I need to address it now? Do I need to address it later? Do I need to... What can I do here? And as Stephen said, it's ethical uncertainty. We're not sure, but we're trying. I remember long ago, some, I was working in an office. And then, I don't know, I said, uh, leaving the office, I said something to one of my co-workers, and suddenly he was really upset about me. You're all like this, you're all like that. And I thought, my first thought was, do I have the time for this? Because he was a little known for that. And at the same time, I thought, yes, I have the time for this. I said something. It seems to have hurt him. I have the time to listen to him and to look at what is going on here. So we spent 20 minutes talking together, and we could kind of look at it in a different way, both. We may be becoming more careful about certain tone or certain word, and he, again, possibly not reacting as strongly. So in a way, coming to some uh, understanding. So in a way, kind of, we hear a word. What do we do with it? And then the other thing, which I think can be really interesting in terms of listening, is what I mentioned, meditative, creative listening. And then here to look at what do we do when we listen? That's why I think it's wonderful practice, listening to the sound of the world, listening to someone else. I think this is one of the greatest gifts we can give to somebody, is to really listen to somebody. 
with care, with compassion, with wisdom. But often, what do we do when we listen? The first thing we do is that we listen to the person, but we actually wait for the person to stop so we can say something so much more interesting. Second, we look in the right direction, but we think about something else. So when they stop and they ask us what you think, what do you think? You have no idea what they said. And here you can see the difference between being conscious in that your operation, your operating thing is working, but not being mindful. The person said the word, my ear is functioning, but I did not hear it because I would, my attention was not on it. And then the third way to listen is we listen and we grasp, and then we kind of make it kind of proliferate, exaggerate, which is often not very helpful. And so for me, this is such a great practice, just to listen and to remind yourself, oh yes, I'm really listening to this person now. And out of that, that's what creative engagement is about. That the person says something, you really listen to them, and then what comes out generally is wise and compassionate, and often you surprise yourself. Oh, I never thought like this. So with the creativity, if we don't grasp, to me that's one of the beauty of not grasping, de-grasping, is the fact that our creative potential can bring something fresh, can bring something new in the situation. And then now, what I like to do is just briefly uh, introduce another technique. So again, when we introduce something different, like today the questioning, if you feel comfortable with that, you do it. If you don't feel comfortable with it, you don't. And if you have another practice you prefer, you do that, please. Uh, but this is just to show you different ways because personally, I think each has a different aspect. The breath generally brings calm. The body helps us with groundedness, sound, with opening, caring. And this practice questioning, to me, is very much about creatively engaging. It's really kind of like, also it's about this ethics of uncertainty. Because the questioning practice is really about opening without defining. So the practice I'm talking about is what we, Stephen and myself, practiced in Korea, which is just to sit in meditation or walk and ask the question, what is this? What is this? But what we have to be careful there is that this is a practice of questioning. This is not a practice of answering. We don't want you to find a definite answer. This is not what this is about. Actually, this is about developing a sensation of questioning in the whole body and mind. And for me, this practice, this speciality, is to bring flexibility. So in a way, it's not about what is this and defining it, but more it's kind of sitting right here, right now and say, what is that? 
what is this? And through asking the question, what is this? Opening to the whole moment without grasping at any of it, without defining anything with it. And that's why it is a little tricky because generally when we ask a question, it's in order to get a definite answer. And then we might ask another question for a definite answer. But actually this is, you could say the opposite. This is kind of to help us to question, to help us to kind of be careful with this. I want to define, I want to fix this. And instead, what's going on so that we're aware of it without necessarily pinning anything down. So in terms of the practice, it's actually just, what is this? So in terms of the focus, so first thing, really this is not a philosophical exercise. This is not a psychological exercise. It's not about, why am I thinking this? It's not about what is the meaning of the universe. This is really about cultivating samatha and vipassana just in the sound way, what we learned in Korea. So in terms of the focus, you could say the question becomes the focus. So what is this? You go with that and then you become a little distracted and then you come back to what is this? And it has the same effect as any other breath, body, sound, that as soon as you come back to the question, you come back to the whole moment. So that's the same, in terms of focusing, it has the same effect. Because again and again, we come back, come back to the question, and you come back to everything in the experience. Instead of often when we go in thought, again, we grasp often at something and we're getting kind of just a little part of the experience. So that's a focus. I mean, often uh, a teacher uh, used to say, it's kind of like the question, what is this? It's like a stick to the ground in which you have a rope and you have a goat, which is attached to it. And the goat can move, but cannot go and eat the lettuces. So it's kind of in a way to protect the lettuces, but the goat can still move. So it's the same with us. What is this? It's not like we have to be 100% what is this? but enough that we come back to it. And then we come back to this wider experience. The other aspect of the question is that it's not a mantra. It's not, what is it, what is it? It's not a mantra, it's not special word. Please say it in your uh, original language, whatever language you feel uh, comfortable with, like it be English, French, Dutch, Chinese, Cantonese, etc. And in a way, what is important, like you have these three words, what is this? And then you might say, but should I say, what is this? Or should I say, what is this? Or should I say, what is this? Actually, the more important word of the question is a question mark. So we're really trying to become a question mark. That's the most important part. So anyway, what we try to do is just develop a kind of sensation of questioning in the whole body and mind. And so what I would really recommend with this practice is to be careful not to do it tensely with the body. Like I used, I when I started it long ago, I was like, what is this? What is this? What is this? 
that's not a good idea because it gives you a headache. So if, if we want to place it anywhere, they recommend to place it in the belly. So to bring the question in the belly and gently from there, what is this? And then you have the little sensation of perplexity. What is this? Stay with the sensation. And then when the sensation goes, then you can come back to what is this? So the point is not to say it all the time, but just time to time. Intim, if you used to do, so the practice is really not about asking about anything specifically. It's just throwing the question into the moment. But of course, if you really used to do noting practice or mindfulness practice, you, it might be hard not to say, what is this thought? What is this sensation? And if you do that, that's fine. But just see what happens when you do that. Again, you can explore it in your own way. Finally, to say about this practice that like any other practice, it doesn't suit everybody. So I would generally say there are four types of people. Some really like it. Some who sit there, what is this? What is that? Why well, am asking this stupid question? If that's the way you feel, don't do it. Do something else. The others are as good as this one. This is one is not better than the other, just one of them. Also, for some people, it kind of brings a little anxiety because it's really associated with being with uncertainty, not knowing in a way. So if like that, I would say don't do it very much and do more the mindfulness and time to time put the question. Other people, because of using words, then it kind of create more words, more thought. So if you then don't do it and try possibly just to visualize the question or possibly not do it at all. See, because if using word create more thought, then it kind of defeat a little the purpose, but you can practice vipassana in another way. So this is really just at an exploration to try to see, can I explore the practice with this question? What is this? Is it helpful or not? And so it's kind of not obliged. But personally, I find it quite complementary. And so sometimes when my find oneself, you know, start with the breath, be aware of the body, and then just suddenly the question will pop on its own, or you might be doing the listening, and then the question will pop up. So see how it works for you. But the one thing we're not trying to do is find a definite answer. We're not trying to do that. But of course, as you see it, an answer might appear. I mean, I had a friend who was kind of a wine connoisseur and he was kind of Don Perignon, 1972. But just let it pass. Or suddenly you might kind of, some truth or some, just see it and let it pass. And then at the end of the guided meditation, then we can talk more about it if you want. Okay? Is this clear enough? So let's try it. So first, maybe just a little stretching for a few seconds.
So now finding a comfortable posture. Again, trying to connect to that feeling of groundedness with the body, sitting in a stable, comfortable posture. And at the same time, that possibility of openness, of vastness, being connected to the whole moment right now. And if it suits us, we can bring gently and steadily the question, what is this? We can locate the question in the belly, if that is helpful. What is it?
We are not looking for an answer. We are just asking, what is it? not reducing ourselves to anything we might grasp at. What is this?
What is this? Opening to the whole moment. Coming back to the question, what is this? Coming back to the whole moment, the whole experience, this organism in this environment.
what is this? Becoming a question mark. When we cultivate meditation, samatha vipassana, in whatever ways, we try to cultivate together brightness, alertness, and calmness, and stillness. So if we become a little agitated, asking the question, we can come back to the breath, bringing a more calming element. If we're doing mindfulness of the breath, then it becomes a little too calm, a little vague. And we can bring the question to bring alertness, brightness. What is it? Qu'est-ce que c'est? Vasistas. 
，一个什么性格？是什Che cos'è questo? Developing a sensation of questioning in the whole body and mind, not knowing. We are in contact. We experience feeling tones. We have perceptions. Are we grasping at any point? Can we creatively engage? What is it?
So thank you for your practice. Uh, so just uh, a minute to stretch a little bit and then kind of uh, And then in the chat, if you can put any comments, any experience, any question uh, you might have. Thank you, Martin. I find the idea of varying volumes of grasping extremely useful. In order to creatively engage with the world, one needs to be open to all possibility, but then also follow through one of those possibility. Some degree of grasping is needed for creativity. Yes, so I think, I think what we really point out here is that often uh, it's kind of like, Feeling tone is seen as bad or contact is seen as bad because it's going to lead to grasping or to craving. But personally, I think they just function. Contact, feeling tone, perception, just function. And then the question is, how much do we grasp? And so in a way, you could say you have caring. And when does caring become grasping in a way? And then when does it come back to caring? And I think, as you say, in order to, to do anything, in a way that's why intention and attention also are important. Intention, we move towards something. But again, we have to try it out and then see if we can be careful not to have too much grasping, but enough caring. And then within that, the creativity. Indeed, indeed. Can you please give us some concrete example of how creative potential looks like? Uh, example of situation that you have personally experienced when you engage with someone and what she said automatically would create grasping and you managed to decrease it. What were the creative potential that was generated? What creative space do we have if we don't grasp at the question, what is this? So again, yeah, yeah, please don't grasp us. What is this? But um, to me, it's kind of like uh, creative engagement, I would say, at two aspects. One aspect is that it's kind of more intentional. It's very interesting intention. If you bring intention to something, then actually you change your relationship to it. But if you bring caring and careful intention, so just one very simple thing uh, in terms of when I used to teach in Rome and whenever we took buses, I used to get stressed. And then I said, wait a minute, why am I getting stressed taking buses in Rome, teaching meditation? And then I kind of, you know, slow down my attention with the intention to notice what was happening. 
And so whenever I took a bus after that, I was very aware of contact, feeling, tone, perception. And then there was so much less grasping and I could creatively engage. And so in a way, I think it's kind of like bringing intentionality also is important to see how am I going to be with this person? Like some people, you have no problem. And some people, they kind of make you a little stress. And so in a way, what do I bring to the encounter so I am not so stressed? I am not going to react automatically. If I can give an example, then maybe uh, a good one uh, would be like many years ago, I was helping at the center and the managers used to talk to me once a week, 30 minutes. And so I go to to meet this young man and we were going to talk for 30 minutes and he said, I am not going to talk to you and you are this terrible person and that this and that and kind of for, so for about 10 minutes he shouted at me, accusing me of this, that and another. And I was sitting there thinking, I have not done any of these things. But I did not see the point of stopping him or saying it's not true. I just kind of waited for him to finish because obviously for whatever reason he needed to do that. And then at the end of it, I said, well, you don't want to meet me. Fine. You know, we don't need to meet. We're not obliged to meet. And I left it there. However, I later on thought this young man doing this to me would mean he would easily do it to other people in the group. So then me and another teacher, we got him and we kind of said to him, you know, behaving in this way is not helpful, is not kind. And so we kind of said, you know, be careful. I mean, doing it to me was okay, but I really thought it was really not okay if he did this in the group. And I learned that something he used to do. So in a way, it's kind of like you, you have to bring, in a way to me, that's why meditation helps us to develop a, a kind of a certain center, a certain centeredness. Or if you think when you are in meeting, sometime in the past, I've been in Buddhist meeting, and then you have somebody say something, and then suddenly somebody reacts, and then you have the tension. And then you feel, but then if I go back to my calm center, then I still up here feel a little, but I have more calm. And then I can say, oh, maybe creatively and say, oh, maybe we could look at it that way or maybe we could do this this way or whatever it is. So I think in a way you need the calmness and the clarity in order to have the creative engagement. And so sometimes it happens intuitively and so naturally it comes and other time in a way you have, in a way intentionally to bring it to the situation. I love this meditation. I get a grand sense, great sense of freedom for not being expected to answer a question. In fact, instructed not to look for an answer. I'm a strongly verbal person. So for me, it were best to simply see it as a question mark. Exactly. So really to see what I really would encourage you in terms of technique, that there is not one technique of asking the question. And so some people, the word might be helpful. Some people just feeling kind of like just being a question mark might be helpful. Some people just saying, what might be enough? So really, again, finding your own way with the question. And of course, yes, sometimes it's so relaxing 
not to have to answer questions. I very much like playing with the visualization of myself as a question mark. It released intellectual speculation and was relaxing. Yes, so I think it's a thing like sometimes if you ask, use words, and the same thing happened with uh, the Brahma Vihara, the, the great qualities I'll talk about tomorrow, that because you introduce words, then it can become a little entangled. And so then to come back to something which is more kind of like a visualization or just kind of just a question mark. How would it feel to be a question mark? So in a way, then again, one can explore it in different ways. Asking the question made me feel very spacious in my mind and body. And then I applied it to the leaning forward feeling of pulling toward a craving for what to have for lunch and that dissolved and disappeared. It was very interesting that I really felt the emptiness of things through asking the question in a curious and kindly way. One of the images they have for the question in terms of the practice is that actually it's like a really sharp blade, really sharp, so that if a hair fell onto the blade, then it would be cut. So in a way, what we are doing here with the question is really using the brightness of the mind, the groundedness of the mind. And it's all in that question, what is this? So sometimes, I'm not saying it worked all the time, but sometimes you have a thought or you kind of see a craving, and then you say, what is this? And it's like, it's poof, it's gone, it's gone. That's what is interesting. But of course, one has to be careful. It does, it's not like that all the time. But time to time, it's interesting to see that. Because you think, wow, oh, this is strong. Then you ask, what is this to it? And then it can just disappear. So, uh, how to work with hyper-focus? So, here, uh, what is interesting in terms of the term samatha, concentration, focusing, is that sometimes we think that we can't concentrate because uh, we're always kind of distracted sometimes when we meditate. And so we think, oh, I cannot concentrate. But actually, we have an incredible tendency to hyper-focus. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, Anemika, but sometimes we focus too much on something. So like when something happens to you and then you can't stop thinking about it day and night and it stops you from sleeping, or you're totally caught up. So in a way, often, a lot of the time, we are too focused, we are too concentrated because we're grasping at something which then make us stick to it, and then we become hyper-focused on it. And then, again, it's kind of seeing it. You know, we see it as a signal. Oh, I have been thinking about this for the last hour, or I have been feeling this for the last hour or the last day. Oh, maybe I could stop. Maybe I could bring a little space within it. And then you maybe bring it to what is this? But first, in a way, you need to realize, oh, once I was teaching a retreat, and just before we started it, I was in South Africa long ago, and then we phoned home, how is everybody around Christmas? And they said, oh, you've been burgled. 
And then I start teaching the retreat. And after a day, I realize I'm keeping thinking about the Bible. And I thought, wait a minute. I am in South Africa. I am here. The burglary is happening over there. But sometimes we just poof. And then we can't stop thinking about it. And so it's kind of like, how can I notice, oh, I am hyper-focused on this. Okay. How can I think about something else? or orient towards something else, or ask the question, what is this? Or go for a walk or talk to a friend. I mean, different people will have different things which will help them there. Yeah, I have caught myself asking what is this, giving me a feeling of openness. Other than focusing, narrowing down on this or that, which give me a sensation of grasping. Is that too broad of a question and missing the point of focusing? No. What I pointed out before in terms of concentration is that when we think concentration, we think one-pointedness. And of course, in part, samatha could mean one-pointedness. But as Stephen pointed out, it can also mean collectedness, which is a different way to look at it, that we are collected. But collected doesn't mean that we become one point. We are collected actually means more that we are stabilized. We are grounded. And we can be grounded in a directive way, specific way, or we can be grounded in a very open manner. So I think we have to be careful of being thinking of focusing just as narrowing down. Personally, I think in different types of meditation, we can have a really wide open focus, which I think can be really helpful like with just sitting or listening meditation. So I think just to see that focusing doesn't necessarily mean one-pointedness, but it can also mean wide open angle, wide open lens. And so, yes, I would say when you ask the what is this, I would say, yeah, if possible, go with the feeling of openness. Because I think that's one of the points of the question. But of course, sometimes you might ask the question and then you get really this kind of collectedness also. I mean, we can experience different things in meditation. Your focus on not answering this question, which I love, but I recently did a Minsunim tricycle course on recognizing awakening in the Korean tradition. If the question does trigger an awakening, do you consider this to be answer or something else entirely. Emin Tsunim is a great friend of mine. He's a wonderful person. He's a Korean monk. And he wrote two wonderful books. And so in a way, yeah. You see, is how you define awakening. Personally, I would define awakening as a moment of de-grasping, as a moment of creatively engaging. And so we have to be careful because often we think about awakening as a big bang. But in Korea, actually, they have this idea, in my monastery especially, of sudden awakening followed by gradual practice, followed by sudden awakening, followed by gradual practice. Because what they see is that, yes, you can have sudden awakening, but this does not dissolve the habits necessarily. It doesn't dissolve the grasping necessarily. Part of it maybe, but not whole of it. So in a way you can have a moment, but it doesn't mean you cannot continue. And so when I was in Korea, my teacher one day, we all went to go kind of do a, 
uh, work meditation. And then there was somebody who said to Master Kuzan, oh, I can't ask my question when I work. And Master Kuzan said, oh, I have no trouble asking the question while I work. And then the foreign, uh, foreign monk saying, but I mean, you should have resolved your question by now. You know, you've been doing this for so, so many years. And he said, oh, no, 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 I continue with the question, but I do it in a different way. And so, of course, we wanted to know how he did it. And he said, no, no, this is for you to find out. So within the Korean tradition, even after an awakening, you would continue with the questioning. So it's not kind of an end of the questioning. Can we say we are connecting with all that with which we are creatively engaging in, in a relationship with it that is spacious and friendly without the grasping, which is tight and controlling, not friendly? Is it something like what you are suggesting? Yes, but I'm not saying that it's possible most of the time. But if some of the time we could do it, I would say generally it feels nicer because it's not so tight. So yeah, yeah, that's what I mean exactly. And I feel asking what is this is similar to the experience of walking past one of those plants that when you touch the seed pod, it bursts and scatters its seed in all directions. It can have, I mean, to me, that's one I like about it because it has this brightening effect. Again, not for everybody, but some of the time it can have hmm, that brightening effect. Uh, thank you. I love this practice. First time trying it, it brought openness and brightness. I'm unsure about the creativity, creativity element in the meditation. If we are not looking for the answer, what are we creating? Okay, here, that's a really good question. Because when I talk about creativity, I don't mean that you necessarily are going to do something. I just mean that you could creatively engage if it is asked for. So you could say that you could be in meditation and you could be really bright and open. And that actually is being in a creative state where your creative potential can arise, but it doesn't necessarily need to have to do something. So you could say the quality is groundedness and spaciousness, quietness, clarity. That's a quality we can experience. And then we experience this quality in meditation. Generally, we don't need to do much with it. We're just with it. Then in daily life, we might have more opportunity to creatively engage in terms of listening to somebody or doing some actions or the ethical uncertainty Stephen was talking about. Or if you are sitting and then suddenly, you know, you have a sensation or you have uh, an emotion or you have a thought, then of course, then you could creatively engage. And creatively engage in that moment could just mean to be with it in a caring and careful way. Or could mean trying not to be overwhelmed by it. So that's what I meant by there. I like the idea of questioning without seeking answer, but I find it difficult to ask the question without thinking of specific object. Would you clarify the purpose for asking what is this? So yeah, I know this, you can do it the traditional way. So if you did it the traditional way, it really would be 
in a way they see it as throwing the light back onto this organism in this moment. So really open-ended, nothing specific. But personally, I think it can also be useful, especially if you're used to do mindfulness meditation, to do it more in a mindfulness way, which would be you have a thought, you have a sensation, there is a sound. What is this? And if you ask what is it not to define it, then it puts you into a different relationship with it. Just asking the what is this, ah, kind of might make you look at the sound, the sensation, the thought in a different way. Might you connect with it in a different way. So you can do both. I think, you know, any of these practice, in a way, we can explore in our own way. There is not just one right way to do it. Also in Hebrew, what is this? Matze. Very uh, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know so many languages, so I could not bring so many in. Very cutting. Thank you. I really like this questioning. Thank you. A question in relation to word. I wonder, where is their limit when someone close to you, parent, child, partner, use hurtful word or behavior? At what point does the compassion of living outweigh the compassion trying to be creative? Again, here, that's why I'm saying we go for 50% grasping. So we diminish 50%, but 50% we still have to take care of ourselves. So we care as much for ourselves as for others. And then we have, to, we have to see what is a limit. In terms of compassion, this is very important. That sometimes we have compassion just for someone else. Sometimes we just have to have compassion just for ourselves. And sometimes we can have both compassion for ourselves and others. We are very much included in this. So yes, two things I would say in terms of family. Family relationship can be very sticky. And so it kind of like they can be very triggering in many different ways. And so then I would say two things. One is redirecting if it's possible. Like if somebody kind of, I mean, if they say something which is, does not relate to you whatsoever and you've not done anything, but they're still unpleasant, I would say redirect. I think creative engagement there is kind of how can I redirect and talk about something else with this person. So I would be very careful about what I can talk with in terms of parent, children, partner. What is it that is not going to lead us to a good place in a way? What is it I can talk about? What is it it's better not to talk about in some way? And in what circumstances, if I wanted to address it, could I talk about in a way which is less triggering for everybody involved? But if somebody is really too harmful, then of course, you have to remove yourself from the situation and you have to meet possibly the person as little as you can. You know, like there was this lady once, she said to me, I, the last child who meet my father just once a year and just that once a year is heroic because he is impossible. You take him to a restaurant and he create havoc every time. So she still did it, but just once a year. And that's it. 
the other children had renounced. So in a way we have, when we talk about creative engagement is as much, of course, compassion for the other person, but also compassion for ourselves. So that yes, removing ourselves is creative. Redirecting is creative. Possibly shortening the time of meeting together can be a good idea. Or maybe watching a film so that you not have to talk to each other, whatever it is. Of course, to me, creative engagement is, this is difficult, this is problematic. I would nearly say, what is the least I can do within this situation to bring a little change, if the change is possible? If the change, for whatever reason, is not possible, then yes, of course, I have to remove myself, of course, from the harm. Very, very important. I mean, I was a trustee of a, a house for battered women. So really, you know, you don't want to stay in a situation which is dangerous. You really have to think about yourself as much as the other person. I found that this was useful to, useful to sit with uncertainty, which can be uncomfortable as my mind wants to answer the question all the time, perhaps to have control and security. Also, it enables us to see beyond categorizing and naming. I, a daisy, become colors and shape and seed and water and sun. I assume seeing the bigger picture opens us to creativity. Yes, I would say so. I mean, it doesn't mean that we have to do this all the time, but you know, you could nearly say the poetic move. You know, it's what kind of Ting Natan teach a lot. You know, you see an orange, don't just see the orange, but see the whole kind of from the seed to the orange. But also when you see a piece of paper, see where does it come from? All the energy that has been, you know, in use for you to have this paper. So no, I think, yes, yes, of course. Uh, it can be really opening in that way. And at the same time, we have to use a paper and we have to eat the orange. I find it useful to be reminded that grasping is not to be eradicated, that I don't need to judge myself for my grasping, that it's more about diminishing it to create more space for creative engagement. Personally, I think this is so important. We're really not going for eradication. We're really going for creatively engaging. And then to see, to me, what is interesting is condition. In what condition do I grasp? In what condition don't I? I, I, I to me, that's what's so interesting is limitation. What are my limits? Limits in time. Sometimes my limits are huge. I can, you know, hours. And sometimes my limit is very short. So it's all so interesting. And this is totally connected actually to not-self. Because if we look at not-self, we look at conditions. I am experiencing an unexpected outcome of a Zoom retreat. During this week, we are in the middle of a dispute with neighbor. And I'm applying the practice we are exploring to shape my response. Useful and fascinating. Yeah, I mean, neighbors, this is tricky. This is tricky. And I hope, I hope this is helpful because this is really difficult. I agree. I thought the question approach was really helpful in bringing me back, preventing distraction into thought. I'm struggling a bit with how this will play out in terms of creative morality that Stephen talked about. That's 
a good, good word, interesting. If you are an indecisive person and get quite stressed about knowing what to do, which also hurt others, how would you creatively engage help? So I think to see that uncertainty doesn't mean that we are necessarily undecisive. Because in a way, this is what the leap Stephen talked about. At one point, we have to act. But also, we don't know if our action is going to be really kind of, we hope it will have a good result. So in the Son tradition, then tradition, they have this idea, you have the intention, you have the action, and you have the result of the action. And through that, we learn over time what works, what doesn't work. So if we make a mistake, we learn from it. So the idea is not that we will be totally perfect ethically, because this is so difficult, we don't know. But we can try with a good intention, we can try with hopefully a beneficial action, and then we have to check. Was there a beneficial result or not? And then we might backtrack and look in different way. So of course, if we are afraid, if we are too afraid, what I would say is that if we feel afraid and stress, to notice when is it that what you did was good, was beneficial, was not helpful, benefited other. Because often the problem is that we will focus on the time which did not work. So one time I was culturally inappropriate, but most of the time I am fine. So in a way you need to be as aware of when you're really doing a good job, that when you might make a mistake because you misinterpreted or you were stressed. So anyway, it's kind of really being aware of what is good. Why did I, what did I do well? Then this gives you more confidence. And then you can try again. And then if it works, you feel, wow, great, it worked. If it doesn't work, ah, what was misunderstood? What was problematic about it? Uh, thank you so much. I felt the question marks throughout my body scan radiating from my stomach. Very pleasant. I use mindfulness to remain calm. So yeah. Personally, I think really this is such an important point about balancing brightness and calmness. And personally, I feel the question complements totally being aware of the breath, of the body, or of sounds. I was aware of a burning sensation in my chest and tension in the body during the meditation. And every time I ask a question, what is it? I found myself straightway inquiring into what the tension and burning was about before returning again and again, returning again, and the question appeared to float uncertainly. Yeah, this is with any meditation. We might have some strange experience. Like, as you say, you are kind of like kind of little burning and tension. So generally, if you can be with it, it's okay, and it will pass. But if it's disturbing, then I would say come back to something which is more simple, like the breath or whatever you found useful in the past. 
So this is like with any practice, some practice kind of, kind of, kind of have an impact on some people, which is different. So in a, again, the one thing you want to be careful that it not become intense and disturbing. Otherwise you can in a way, as you say, creatively engage with it. I get caught on wondering what this denote. What is it that I'm asking about? It is better for me to use a German question, was gibt, if I pronounce correctly, even though I speak little German, I don't know an English equivalent. You see, if you have a problem with the this, I mean, why the this is because it's neutral. And personally, I like it because it's a little more alert and bright. But you can say, what is it? Or you can just say, what? So again, you can play with the word that you are using. No problem with that in any different language you want to use, of course. I, we are finished. Thank you. Combined with breathing awareness, a lovely sense of opening to the universal. This bringing thing part of a breathing world. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments, your question. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.